Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Well, once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. So great to have you here on this very first Sunday of 2019. I trust you've had a happy and healthy start to this new year. And from my perspective, choosing to be in church this morning, that's a huge step in the right direction. Because for a believer, there's nothing like the presence of God in his house. And it's so great to be here, it's so great to worship with you, and to know that God is for us in 2019. So thank you for your enthusiasm. I could just sense you're on the edge of your seats. You're, you know, just shaking off all of that uh, tiredness, and you're ready to go, right? Yeah, I can just feel it. I can feel it. All right, as we begin this morning, I'd like to ask you a question. How many of you have ever used the L word? And of course, the L word that I'm referring to is love. How many of you in your lifetime have ever told at least one other person, I love you? It could be a parent or a child. It could be a spouse or a friend. Let me see your hands, all right? I'm guessing everybody in the room because love is a universal language. It's a common dialect spoken and understood by people of all race, creed, and color. And as you've heard countless times in the past, love knows no bounds. It's that powerful. Check this out. Last year, on February the 14th, Valentine's Day, a record $30 billion was spent showing our love to one another. $30 billion with a B to celebrate love on just one day. 822 million of the 30 billion was spent letting our dogs and our cats know how much we love them. $822 million spent on our pets on Valentine's Day. No comment. You see, love, it's a powerful element of life. It's in a league all by itself. And by God's design, nothing compares with love. We've been singing about it all morning. Nothing even comes close. Love has tremendous healing properties. It can build a bridge over the widest chasm. Love is a remedy for sadness and suffering, for pain and tragedy, for anger and envy and hate, just to name a few. And no one on earth can live a fulfilled or satisfied life without it. And if you think that you can do life all by yourself without the element of love, you're fooling yourself. Now, when you hear the word love, and you've heard me say it a bunch of times already this morning, so when you hear someone talking about love, or when you think about love, what immediately comes to mind? What defines love, and more specifically, what type of behavior characterizes love? Well, according to the experts, these days, it is common for people to base their love on the actions of another person. I'm going to say that again. 
It's common for people to base their love on the actions of another person. What that person has done for you or what that person has to offer. And I'm talking about a particular quality other people possess that might make them desirable. Something like physical beauty or wealth or success or status or education or some other self-centered motivation. Again, the research indicates that most people, not all, but many, many people, they love because there is something beneficial to be gained. In other words, I love you, I love you, but truth be told, I love you because you have something to offer to me. You have the potential to meet the need I have. There's something about you that might make my life a little bit better. And according to the experts, this is the way that we relate to one another. And oftentimes, selfishness is at the very center of our love. I'm going to say that again. According to the research and all of the studies and all of the reports and the polls that have been taken, the statistics, oftentimes, selfishness is at the very center of our love. And unfortunately, many relationships, not just couples that are dating and eventually marry, but many outside relationships and associations are first begun and then established when one person notices something desirable in another person. Now, that might be an acceptable mentality for worldly love, but it's certainly not biblical love. Biblical love, or true love, originates from God. I'll say that again. Biblical love or true love, originates from God. And we know that because 1 John 4, 7 tells us love comes from God. Say that. Love comes from God. One more time. Love comes from God. And God's love doesn't contain a single ounce of selfishness. In fact, God's love is perfect. And we read in the book of Romans that God proved his love to us when he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to die when we were yet sinners. So before we had anything good to offer God, before we were even moving in the right direction, God still proved the extent of his love. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8, paints a beautiful picture of God's love. You hear this a lot at wedding ceremonies, but it goes so much deeper than that. This description or definition of love is not for married people only. It's for all of us. It's the kind of love that the Father has expressed to us and given to us. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. Love does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects and it always trusts. It always hopes and perseveres. Love never fails. You see, that's true love. And when we love with God's love, with genuine love, 
the people that we're in relationship with, they may not have outstanding characteristics or qualities that compel us to love them. So rather than loving people for our benefit or for what we can get out of the relationship, we choose to love people for who they are. That's what God has instructed us to do. To love people because we have been recipients of his love and we've allowed his love to consume our hearts. So love automatically oozes out of us in every situation. Love is what comes through. Now, can anybody tell me who modeled that kind of love? Yeah, Jesus did. Jesus' love was shocking to people who were only exposed to worldly love or selfish love. In fact, his teaching on friendships and relationships is off the charts. It was brand new and foreign to everyone. And people, the masses, they couldn't even begin to fathom the depth of Jesus' love. And this whole month, we're going to pursue that precise theme. To love like Jesus or to love like this. Say that for me. To love like this. Again. Enthusiastically. To love like this. That's what we're going after. 2019. To have the love in our hearts, the same love that God has for us. Now, in the Gospel of John, in chapters 13 through 17, we see a side of Jesus that the other Gospel writers don't capture. And keep in mind that in the Gospel of John, John presents Jesus in his divinity. We have a chance to see Jesus as the Son of God. And as the Son of God, he reveals to us the heart of God. Now, the other three gospel writers, what we call the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they represent or reveal to us Jesus and his humanity. We get to see Jesus as the Son of Man. And we just celebrated all this at Christmas time. Jesus leaving his throne in heaven, coming to earth as a man, being wrapped in flesh, and being with us. And we believe that with all of our hearts. We believe the Christmas story. We believe that Jesus came to be with us and that he's fully man. But let's not forget, he's also God. And John reveals that to us in his gospel. And so in these five chapters, John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, we see a side of Jesus that is very important for us to see. And these five chapters take place during the final Passover that Jesus shared with his disciples. And at that Passover, he instituted the communion supper, you know, some 2,000 years ago, the same communion that we're going to celebrate this morning in just a few minutes. And John introduces this important passage of Scripture, these five chapters to us, in a very incredible way, beginning in John chapter 13 and verse 1. Here's what the gospel says. It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. How many times do you think you've read that? A bunch of times, right? I read that last statement, and I say, Wow! He now showed them the full extent of his love. 
I say wow because we're about to see in action the totality of the love of God. Everything that we sing about, everything that we've embraced, everything that we know about God's love. The scripture says that Jesus, in these next five chapters during the Passover meal, he's about to show the power of God's love to his disciples. And so I look at that and I say, man, if you want to know God's love and if you want to embrace it and walk in the power of it, then you need to pay attention right now. For these next five chapters, you've got to lock in and zero in and listen to what Jesus is saying. It's the only way that we're ever going to be able to emulate his love. And so here comes the power of God's love. John chapter 15 and verse 12. Jesus said, my command is this, love each other as. Is it up there? All right. Love each other as I have loved you. Not just love each other, period. Love each other, love one another as I have loved you. With the same conviction, the same enthusiasm, with the same passion, with the same virtue. And this command that Jesus gives to us to love one another as he loves us comes on the heels of what he said a little earlier during the same Passover meal, John 13, 34. A new command I give you. What kind of a command? A new command. Love one another. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. Jesus said this is a new command. How many know when Jesus gave a new command, all of the previous commands are no longer in effect? They all now are summed up in this command. So everything that we've been taught to do prior to this, this now becomes our number one instruction and priority. To love each other in the same way that Jesus loves us. This command supersedes all the other commands. And a little further on in his teaching, Jesus said, this is how everyone is going to know that you're my disciples. This is what's going to separate you and differentiate you from all other people. This one simple element called love. It's not going to be your church attendance or your tithe record or how many hours you log during the prayer and fasting time. All wonderful accomplishments. Jesus said, this is my command. This is what I want you to do. This is what's going to speak volumes to the world. It's how you embrace the love that I give to you and then your willingness to emulate it in the same fashion to the world around you. Now, let me ask you this question. I just want you to be honest. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to say anything. Just think about it. Because if we can't be honest in church, where are we going to be honest? All right, just, just think about this. With regard to the way... Christ's followers or the church of Jesus Christ fulfills the great commission which is to preach the gospel message and make disciples. You know, to lead people to repentance. To teach them to obey the commandments that Jesus gave to us. With regard to the manner in which we do that, the way that the church of Jesus Christ today 
communicates and articulates the gospel message so that people can receive it. Would you say that most outsiders, not people in the church, but most outsiders would conclude that we love in our methods and more specifically that we love in the same manner in which Jesus loves? Do you think that? I don't think so. I'm sorry to say this to you, but I think the Church of Jesus Christ today can be a little bit judgmental and critical, especially when it comes to unbelievers, people who have rejected the truth of the gospel. In fact, sometimes I think that we can be downright arrogant and self-righteous in our presentation of the gospel. And I know we don't mean it. I know that's not our intention to be that way, especially after the hundreds and hundreds of sermons we've heard on humility. I know sometimes we come across that way because we want to draw a line in the sand and let everybody know uh, how much passion we have for the truth and how committed we are to the gospel and to the word of God. And so when something comes up that is contrary to the word of God and somebody's passionate about it, that's when we get a little bit reactionary and we call it righteous indignation. But friends, it's far from righteous indignation. I'll call it good old-fashioned human anger. And do you remember our definition of love? Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not easily angered. It doesn't dishonor others. And that includes the kind of love that we have for others outside of the church. Now I'm talking about sinners, unbelievers, people who don't know any better. And so this year, 2019, right here in the beginning, January, I want to make this a priority, and I would love to see Community Christian Church do better at this. I'll wait for your applause. I want to see us understand the importance of this truth along with all the other gospel truths that we hold so dear. Everything else that we have in our repertoire of, of understanding when it comes to God's word and his instructions. I want this new command to be our driving force this year. That we will love one another the same way that Jesus loved. And the only way to do that the only way to embrace this kind of attitude is to examine closely the sensitive and challenging issues that Jesus faced and then choose to follow in his footsteps. I mean, look at how he handled it, watch the way he responded, and then say, you know, it goes against my grain to do that, but I'm going to do it because Jesus commanded it. See, it's not just a suggestion. It's not just a possibility that we could get there as a church. It's a command. It's a new command. It's the final command that Jesus gave to us. Love one another as I have loved you. In other words, love like this. Jesus saying, love like this. When you respond to people, when you interact and connect with people, when you relate to people, all people, love like this. And so here's love like this, lesson number one. And we're going to talk about this all month. Here's the first lesson. Jesus accepted people. Say that. Jesus accepted people, especially sinners. 
He accepted sinners. Jesus did not reject sinners. In fact, the scripture tells us he died for sinners. Do you know that? He died for us. He died for the whole world. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he sent his son to die. Question, how did Jesus love us? Answer, he loved us sacrificially. He laid down his life for us. And in the process, he showed us how effective he could be as a savior, a minister, and a friend. This is what Jesus communicated to us all during his earthly ministry. Three and a half years of relating to sinners and establishing friendships and becoming a savior for all men and for all women. Now, thankfully... Very few of us are ever going to have to die a physical death for somebody else. But still we can follow the example of Jesus. And we can lay our lives down in a different way, in a different manner. And one way to do that is to be willing to accept people. To accept sinners and not to reject them. Most of you probably have skipped over, read over, Romans chapter 15, verses 7 and 8. Here's what it says. Accept one another. In case you're wondering if I'm right in my theology. When I just said we are to accept one another, it's a a lesson that we can learn. What does it say here? Accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God so that the Gentiles, those who don't know Jesus, may glorify God for his mercy. The very first group of people that the church can work at accepting are sinners, unbelievers, people who are far from the truth and who are far from God. In fact, these are the people that need the mercy of God most. And the last time I checked, these were the people that we should be ministering the gospel to. I mean, it's one thing to encourage each other in the Lord and to build each other up and to extend the hand of fellowship to one another, but our commission is to the unbeliever, those that are lost all over the world. And we can start there. We can start, the church of Jesus Christ can start loving like this when we learn to accept one another, to embrace one another. Now, back in October of last year, a very popular Christian artist and songwriter by the name of Lauren Daigle appeared as a guest on The Ellen Show. Now, we sing Lauren Daigle's songs here, worship songs. She is a wonderful Christian woman that God has gifted in so many different ways. She's a songwriter, like I mentioned. She has a powerful anointing upon her, and she has a desire not only to lead the church in songs of praise and worship and to encourage the church and bless the church, but also to share the love of God with the outside world. That's her gift. That's what God has called her to do, to live out Romans chapter 15, 7 and 8, which is to let the Gentiles know that there's a God in heaven who loves them and wants to extend mercy to him. Now, I want to take a couple of minutes this morning and just show you a small, a short clip, uh, a video clip of Lauren on... The Allen Show. 
Our next guest has been compared to everyone from Adele to Amy Winehouse. Her new CD just debuted at number one. She's amazing. Here to perform Still Rolling Stones. Please welcome Lauren Daigle. The name of the song, Still Rolling Stones, not talking about Mick Jagger or the 60s band. <laughs> Preaching the gospel message that we preach. Sharing with the world the power of God's love. Those lyrics at the very end, they, they just grabbed me. I thought that I was too far gone for everything I've done wrong. Yeah, I'm the one who dug this grave, but you called my name. You called my, my name. Lauren is singing about the same God who on Easter morning rolled away the stone so that Jesus could come to us in resurrection, life, and power. And she's teaching us, she's talking to us about how important it is to understand that God always gives us a second chance. He rolls away the stones of our own embarrassing moments and our failures and our past because he's come to give us life. And he's come to give us that life more abundantly, not only in the next reality, but here on earth. 
And she's sharing that message of the gospel of his love to the world. Well, do you know that after Lauren performed on the Ellen show, that a group of Christians highly criticized her and came down on her like a ton of bricks for performing on the Ellen show. And they were upset because, uh, as you know, Ellen is a practicing lesbian. And they said, sold out Christians, sold out believers should not be associating with people like that. I mean, she's sharing the love of God with people. She didn't compromise her faith. She's trying to get the message of God's mercy out to people. And how many of you know the LGBT needs the mercy of God? Like everyone else, the gay community needs Jesus. I said it a couple of weeks ago, the world needs Jesus. And it's our job to present Jesus to the world in the way that he asked us to. Now, I know that this is going to hit a nerve with some of you, a raw nerve. In fact, as soon as you saw Ellen introduce Lauren Daigle, you probably cringed on the inside, some of you. But listen to me. Please listen with your heart. There is a far cry or a huge difference between accepting people and accepting their behavior and actions. There's a huge difference. And as believers, we cannot condone a gay lifestyle. In the same manner, we can't condone an opposite sex lifestyle that dishonors God or violates the word of God. And when people of opposite sex live together or have sex before marriage, that's contrary to the word of God. And God's best for us is spelled out in his word. And yet every single time this issue of homosexuality comes up, every time it's mentioned, a group of good intending, passionate Christians want to establish and reestablish that homosexuality is a sin. And they want everyone on the face of the whole earth to know where the church stands on this issue. Well, let me be real clear. Any behavior that violates the word of God, anything that we do that is contrary to the word of God, it's sinful. But the last time I looked, Romans 3.23 says, we all have sinned. All of us have participated in sin. And we've all come short of the glory of God. So here's what I suggest on this issue. And I don't have all the answers. You want to engage me in conversation? Let me know. But here's my suggestion going forward, especially with all of the hate and all of the vision that's in the world today. Rather than define people by their sin, how about we make their need for God's mercy and our command to love them a higher priority? Rather than define people by their sin, let's make their need for God's mercy and our, love to, our command to love them, the command that Jesus gave to us, a top priority in our lives. 
that would be following the example that Jesus set for us because he never focused in on the sin. I mean, even to the woman who was taken in the sin of adultery and he told her, go and sin no more. But that was after he said, I do not condemn you. He did not focus in on the sin. He did not define people or identify people by their sins. He was all about relationship and redemption and he worked really hard at that. In fact, for three and a half years, he was in search mode for people who were far from God and needed salvation, even when those people didn't want anything to do with salvation. See, what ended up drawing sinners to Jesus wasn't his sinless perfection. It wasn't because he was the only righteous person on the planet. What drew people to Jesus wasn't even the powerful sermons that he preached or the miracles that he performed. They flocked around him and they loved Jesus because he accepted them and he became their friend. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 18, says Jesus was a friend of sinners. That's how he's identified in the scripture as a friend of sinners. Aren't you glad? I sure am. I'm glad that he was willing to come after me. Now most of you know that Years ago, before I went into full-time ministry, I served uh, in the Detroit Police Department for 10 years. I was a Detroit police officer for 10 years. And looking back, one of my greatest challenges, one of the, the most difficult things that I had to do was overcome the uh, incredible hate that started to cloud out my heart. I saw humanity at its absolute worst where people were murdered and victimized and abused like it was normal. And when you live that, when you experience, when you see it, most of the time, that's all you're involved in, it can get to you. And it doesn't matter how hard you try, it can start to fill your heart and harden your heart with hate. And so I learned a lesson, and I thank God that I learned it was a difficult lesson. It took me 10 years to learn it. I learned to hate this crime, but to love the criminal. The, I, please believe me when I tell you God hates sin. He hates it with passion. He knows how damaging sin can be. That's why he tried to keep us out of that. Way back in the Garden of Eden, he tried to prevent it from happening. He hates sin, but he doesn't hate sinners. He loves sinners. He died for sinners. And he continues today the same way that Jesus showed us in the Gospels, to be in search mode for people who are on the outside looking in. See, as the church of Jesus Christ, when we learn to love and accept people, it doesn't mean for a hot second that what they're doing is okay or that we agree with what they're doing. It just means that we have a higher priority to pray for that their, God's mercy to be extended to them and that we would show forth an example of love the same way that Jesus loved us. Yeah. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Prepare for communion. Holy Spirit of God, we need you here to just penetrate our hearts right now. We all have opinions. We all have understanding. 
Lord, I pray that we would hear very clearly the voice of the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, for the church. I thank you that the church is the vehicle to preach the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It's the commission that you gave to us before you left this earth to go back to your throne in heaven. You told us, this is what I want you to do. I want you to preach the good news of the gospel and I want you to make disciples. And this is how I want you to do it. This is my command for you. Love one another. Treat one another, accept one another, respond to one another in the exact same way that I loved you. Father, what a powerful truth. And Holy Spirit of God, thank you for reminding us of how valuable and important this is to the church. As we enter this new year, Lord, and we see all of the division around us, hate on every hand, a world divided, a nation divided, I pray the church will rise up. I pray the church will understand, Lord, that you've called us to be a shining light to this world today. And we can't do that any other way than by following the command that you've given to us. Love is that powerful. And you said we're not to just love our friends and family members and those who love us. We are actually to love our neighbors. We're to love our enemies and we're to pray for them. And I ask, Lord, that you would do something unique, something powerful here at Community Christian Church this month and this year as we learn and make a fresh determination to love like this. Thank you, Lord. Scripture says it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper had ended, Jesus took the cup. Again, he gave thanks. He passed the cup to his disciples and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, every single time you come to the communion table and you hold the bread and the cup in your hand, I want you to declare or publish my death. Every time. Jesus said, I want you among other things during the communion service, I want you to remember my death. Don't lose sight of it. Don't let other things cloud your mind. Go back to the cross and remember the cross. And so when we come to the communion table and we talk about the death of Jesus, when we engage in discussion or conversation, one of the very first questions we have to ask is, how did he die? He died a miserable death. Wasn't an easy death. Isaiah saw it 700 years earlier. He spelled it out for us. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed. He was bruised. And by his wounds were healed. How did he die? He died a crucifixion death. He was beat within an inch of his life. And he endured all of that suffering and all of that pain for us so that we could be healed. 
So you have to talk about the how. Then you also have to talk about the why. Why did Jesus die? Very simple, friend. For the sins of the world. For your sin and for my sin and for every single transgression on the face of the whole earth. That's what nailed Jesus to that cross was sin. And Jesus said, when I went there and died for sins, the human race would no longer be defined by sin. But in me, they would be defined by grace and by mercy. And that's the way Jesus treated us. And he said, that's how I want you to treat one another. That's the attitude I want you to have when it comes to the rest of mankind. Now there's a story in the scripture, a quick one. Then we're going to receive communion. It's about Jesus coming into contact with a man by the name of Levi. Levi was a Jewish man who turned his back on God. He became a tax collector, which at that time was the lowest job that you could engage in. It was the lowest profession that you could ever get involved in. Someone who would collect taxes and make a living on the poor, cheating the poor. And every time the religious leaders passed by Levi's receipt of custom, his little tax booth there, they probably cursed at him, they spit in his direction. Nobody would have anything to do with Levi until Jesus came along. Levi was an outcast. Levi was somebody that nobody wanted to deal with, all by himself. And Jesus extended mercy to Levi, talked to him, said, Levi, why don't you change your ways? Why don't you take a look at the, the plan that God has for your life? And guess what? Levi responded. And Levi made his peace with God through Jesus. And right after that, he had a little celebration at his house. He invited Jesus to come. And guess who he invited? All of his worldly friends, sinners and tax collectors and people that were far from God. And when Jesus attended that little banquet or that little celebration, again, the religious leaders were in the background and saying, why are you associating with sinners? Why are you even dealing with sinners, people that are outcasts? And Jesus said to the religious leaders, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and learn what this means. This is the most important lesson you can learn, Jesus said. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. I will have mercy. God is a God of mercy. His mercies are new every morning. If not for his love and mercy, none of us would make it. Let's bow our heads. I'm thinking there might be a few of you here today who just figured it's a new year. I should probably be in church. Maybe I'll start this new year off right. I don't attend church a lot, but I, I think I'll be there today. Or maybe you wandered in and you don't know why. And you're not sure of your relationship with God. You don't know that God accepts you. I, I just want you to hear me say this. He accepts you. He not accepts you. He doesn't accept you uh, only down the road when you make changes. He accepts you right now, right here, as you are. And he's calling to you. He's calling to you to see him as a God of love 
and is a God who will take you where you need to go. There are others that are here today and you're, you're in church all the time. You have a good relationship with God. You love God with all your heart. And when I talk about accepting people, when I talk about the importance of learning to love this way or to love like this, what face, what name, what people group comes to you that you have a hard time accepting? I'm going to ask God to open your heart to see that group of people or that person or that individual through the same eyes that God sees that person. Blinding love. Father, thank you. Thank you for the reminder of how much you love us. There's no love like this. It's not found in the world. It can't be. It only comes from one place, one source, you. And everyone in this room who can call themselves a Christian, a saved person, has been a recipient of that love. And I pray, Lord God, that we would not only embrace it, understand it, know it, but it would consume our hearts this year. Let's take the bread and the cup together. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.